56% of buyers categorize their software purchase as high regret. Why do I share this stat? It's according to Gardner, by the way. The reason why is that you have to understand when you start any kind of discovery conversation with a prospect, over half of the time, any of the purchases that they've made in the last 12 to 24 months, they have buyer's regret around. They bought some solution from a rep giving probably a very similar pitch that you're giving, and they regretted it. It didn't deliver the ROI that they wanted to. Implementation didn't go well. There wasn't buy-in. The adoption was low, whatever it might be. And what we're going to talk about today is how we can use discovery as a way to really, you know, build trust, de-risk the purchase for the buyer and really reduce skepticism very early on in the sales cycle. Thanks for checking out Outbound Squad. My name is Jason Bay. You can call me J-Bay. If you're checking out Outbound Squad for the first time, we're all about helping you turn strangers into paying customers. So if you're a BDR, SDR making tons of cold calls, setting up appointments for your AE counterparts, or you're an AE who's also hopefully doing outbound, closing deals, or you're a leader leading one of those two groups, you're definitely in the right place. Today's all about discovery. I have a great guest that I'm going to be talking to today. Her name's Janelle. We actually met through LinkedIn. So she has over a decade of sales experience. Her most recent role was as a sales leader at LinkedIn. And she reached out to connect and I was like, yeah, let's, uh, let's jam. We talked and I was like, Hey, let's, uh, let's get you on the podcast. So Janelle Gallucci, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Janelle is, uh, is the guest today. We're talking all about discovery. So we dig a little bit into her background. We share tips on how to properly prepare for these conversations how to really nail the actual discovery conversation itself. And I'm opening up my notes here. She has a, a term that she calls vis vision matching, excuse me, that I thought was really cool. And it's this concept of, hey, let's not use discovery as a chance to just pepper a prospect for 25 minutes and then save the last minutes to tell them that we can help them and then schedule the next steps. Let's, as we're having the conversation, as they bring things up, let's make sure that we're showing them that we either can or can cannot help with our solution. We talk about follow-up. She gives really good tactical questions that you can ask at the beginning of a discovery conversation to really kind of open it up, but also keep it very focused. So this is a great episode. Uh, before we check it out, if you could do me a favor, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us an honest rating. It really helps us get the show in front of more reps and leaders like yourself. So if you found this helpful, leave an honest review or rating, share it with one of your colleagues. Let's get to the interview. So we met in a way that I've met uh, a lot of the people in our industry originally, just yeah. sending like a I know. message, dude. <laughs> so and here we are. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so it's I'm super excited to dig in with you. It was uh, I got the message from you, and I just you know your experience sort of you know speaks for itself. So I I want to start with how you got into sales. Are you one of those crazy people like me that went from marketing? to sales and did you go back and forth at all? Like what was like what were you doing? I think it was a cunning I was I was seeing on your on your LinkedIn oh profile. Gosh, was that a marketing cunning. job? Yeah, all right. You're bringing me back, Jason, to uh so I graduated college in 2009. It was a tough time to graduate. I went to school to be an art director. Okay. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to work for advertising agencies. I wanted to be the 
visionary to create the, uh, you know, the concepts for marketing and advertising campaigns and be the one to pitch them to clients. Um, and that was what I went to school for. That's what I studied. And, uh, cunning that first job was an advertising agency where I was doing exactly that. Um, but it's interesting, you know, for people that go to school for that, the folks that end up in sales, really ad sales, it's kind of looked at like failure, like, right. Like you, you couldn't make it as a creative. And so you moved into ad sales. Right. And so that job at cunning was an internship. That was my first job. It was an internship. I was so excited to have it. I lived in New Jersey. I took two hours each way to commute in and out of Manhattan. It was, it paid a hundred dollars a week, but it cost me $150 a week to commute. And so like, that was the situation in 2009 for recent graduates. It was tough. And so I was actually at a career fair, uh, representing cunning as an agency, trying to help them hire more, you know, hopeless interns like me. And this guy came up to me, his name is Tony Himes. I will never forget this. And he's like, tell me about your agency. And so I start telling him and, you know, here's an application. Do you want to apply? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Like I'm here hiring people too. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, nice to meet you. He moved on. And then we go to leave this little career fair and uh, him and I end up in the elevator together. And he's like, you know, I think you'd be really good at sales. Like, here's my card. Like, give me a call if you're looking for a job. And so honestly, I took the interview just for funsies. Like I just thought it would be good to get practice. And when I walked into their, this sales office, it was very similar to an advertising agency. It was big open space, bright colors. I mean, this was, you know, a while ago. And so, you know, people are hitting the gong when they close deals and, you know, there was bloody Mary brunches and happy hours. It was like a a time that is is no more, but um, (laughs) it was super fun. And so I was like, wow, you know, maybe I could give this a try. They were like, you know, you don't need any sales experience and uh, you'll probably make between 60 and hundred K in your first year. And I was like, sold, tell me no more. Cause again, I was making a hundred dollars a week and taking a loss on commuting into the city for that. And so took a stab on it and I just, I fell into it, ended up being good at it, I guess. Uh, And the rest is sort of history. That's where I got my start. That was the first sales job. It was called Media Planet. It was in advertising sales. Those are the best sales jobs where they advertise no experience required. And I'll tell you, it is a high turnover sales order. They are, I've learned since then that there are companies that are like product and engineering led. And then there are companies that are like sales led and media planet was all about the sales. Salespeople were King. We were the vast majority of the employees at the company. Um, and if you did well, you got paid really well and you got additional responsibilities and you know, they had a really clear hierarchy that you could move up. And so I was immediately drawn to that. I'm like, wow, commission making good money. And there's a path for me to move up to be a senior AE and then be a manager and a director and all that stuff. And so I really just fell into it. And I fell into it like a lot of people did. Yeah, I love that. When you think about early, like in your first couple of years, when did the, when do you feel like the dots really started to connect from a discovery standpoint in terms of being able to step back and, and look at, oh, I get I was given these like prescribed questions and I know I'm supposed to ask these and then we're supposed to do a demo or a presentation at some point and when were you able, like, what was the aha yeah, moment? I guess it's interesting. In if you, if you can, if remember. I'm being honest, if there, there was, was a moment. moment and the moment was fairly late. Um, it really came right at the beginning of working at LinkedIn as a sales leader, where I actually got the first formal, legitimate, mm. high level sales training and coaching in my career. And so 
my success at Media Planet in ad sales and how to succeed in that role. And really back then in ad sales in general was your passion. It was like how fast you could talk and how good your pitch was and how booming your voice was, whatever it was. It was a lot about like, I remember my manager then telling me like, Janelle, like all you have to do is just like (laughs) outrun people, get them excited. There's a sense of urgency, like make calls all day, like drive that urgency and create it. And so that was where a lot of my success came from. And so it was really cool to couple that energy and that passion, that desire, that hustle with formal training and coaching. And so that was really where the dots clicked for me. Probably the first six months at LinkedIn is like, okay, my team, what my reps need to do here is they need to figure out the exact pain points that these prospects are, are dealing with, confirm that that's actually what our solution solves for, and then crush it in connecting the dots to their pains and our solution. And so that was probably the moment for me. Interesting. Is there anything that comes to mind conceptually with like when you say pain and problem, like really understanding that like this is essentially the fuel for the deal. Like this is the thing that creates action. Was there anything that through teaching it like that, that I'm just asking mostly for people listening to this that might not, they might be on that journey right right now of connecting the dots or they might be teaching people, you know, how to connect the dots. Anything conceptually stick out to you that's like, oh, okay, I, I, I think the concept of the Sandler pain funnel has always really stuck with me. I think when you first start doing discovery, you're kind of at that top level. Tell me your problem. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Let me solve it. And you're right. Discovery is the fuel for the deal. And so I like thinking about that funnel, like the deeper you can go, right? We've got a surface level pain. Cool. Maybe we can sell something. We've got a deeper pain underneath that surface pain. What is that surface pain causing? That's going to give us more fuel. If you can get all the way down to like, if I don't solve this problem, I'm going to get fired from my job and not be able to support my, my wife and children, or I'm not going to be able to buy my next, you know, my vacation home or like a personal pain. Like that's kind of all the way at the bottom of the funnel. Like how is this impacting them personally? Um, you know, the deeper you go, the more fuel you get for the deal. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a really good segue into just talking through your your process. So do you want to give people just some perspective on, feel free, you can elaborate a little bit more on your, your recent sales experience. And you've, you've recently in the last yeah. couple of years started a business and maybe give us a little bit more perspective. What kind of customers you work with now? What kind of problems you help solve? And then yeah. let's, uh, let's talk about discovery. All right, cool. Let's get into it. Get so into background it. on me, I'm Janelle. Uh, I work with startup founders and CEOs and I help them scale and optimize their sales teams. And so a lot of my clients are in that somewhere around seed or series A, uh, they've gotten enough initial momentum to catch the attention of investors and, and secure funding to begin with. And now they need to up-level. They need to up-level to meet those investors' expectations or to set themselves up to secure that next round of funding. And a lot of them kind of come from a similar place as me where like we've had success, but we don't quite know why. Like we've got a lot of passion and energy for what we sell, but like don't know the formal tactics and techniques. And so, you know, for a lot of these clients, like sales can feel overwhelming. And a lot of them have reps, you know, selling in these roles that also don't have sales backgrounds. And so like, how do we get to the next level? How do we refine our sales process? How do we up-level our skills? What skills do we even need? How do we hire top salespeople, onboard them, keep them engaged, get them performing quickly? So that's the type of work that I do. And it leads me to a ton of coaching with 
SDRs, NAEs, and sales managers, because um, that is a lot of the the how, you know, we're going to come up with a strategy with the founder or CEO, but then a lot of it is then getting in with their team, listening to the calls. Um, for some of these clients, I actually also just kind of fun. Um, I take sales calls for some of them just to keep it fresh and fill gaps. A lot of them have gaps, you know, like, oh, someone yeah. left and we're, you know, the next person isn't starting. Can you take the leads for the next couple of weeks? And so, um, you know, I've done SDR, AE, sales manager, sales director, you know, VP of sales roles myself, but it's fun now as a consultant, I get to support a lot of these roles and, and still get to like get my hands on sales calls. So yeah, that, that's what I do. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was looking forward to talking to you is because like you, you do work, like yeah. you get your hands dirty, you know, with the clients, like you're, you're in yeah. there selling their solution, which yeah. is uh, super. Learn a lot. Um, <laughs> let's talk discovery. So. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I have learned so much as a, I don't even know what to call myself, a consultant, trainer, yeah. coach, kind of all of the above, I guess, where you really battle test your frameworks when you have to apply it across industries in personas that oh, yeah. you have not personally sold to, where you like really get a better understanding of, hey, this cold calling framework that I teach, does that work right. when you call into an HR person versus an IT versus a security versus a sales versus a marketing versus a big enterprise business versus SMB sales motion and just like yeah. kind of everywhere in between? Um, let's start with discovery. So we kind of talked about breaking this up into there's kind of like a, a prep component of this. There's a vision matching component of it. Yeah. I, li I like that you call it vision matching. There's a follow-up and then sort of how this segues into the demo. Before we get into those four stages, what do you see from your observation of doing this a ton and working with a lot of clients? What are the common mistakes and just the approach and how yeah, they treat discovery? Good question. One of the most common mistakes that I see is simply just skipping over discovery or doing a really weak job at it. Like we don't know, like I, I sit on a lot of demos where at the end of it and, yeah. and the people that I coach, they, they see this in their feedback. They know this for me. I'm like, I, I start the session and I'm like, why, why were we on this call? Like, wh why, why is the person here? We have no idea. And so the rest of the call falls flat because we didn't really get clear on what their problems are. And so I feel like that's the first thing I see is just making sure that you're actually taking the time to learn discovery skills and, and do discovery. Cause like we said at the top of this, like that's the fuel for the deal. Um, and so I think that's one of the more common mistakes I make. Um, I think another mistake I see is if they are doing discovery, they're not, we're not going deep enough. And so it's super surface level. Tell me about your problems. Oh, you have that problem. Cool. Let me show you my stuff instead of really pausing and pumping the brakes and having an actual two-way conversation with them to figure out exactly where they're at, where they're struggling, what the desired outcome that they, they want to, to achieve is, and, and making sure that your solution is the right solution for that. I think that's a lot of times when I come up with like, why, why are we on this call? It's like, I, I don't know if this is the right solution for this person. We, we need to catch that earlier on. And that's, that's where discovery comes in. Got it. So skipping discovery, it's, I laughed when you said that because it's, it's crazy. I mean, some of the the thinking is, well, they booked a call through the inbound uh -huh. form. Or they want to know about our solution. Right. Like they want to see right. our, so let me platform. tell them all about it. <laughs> so I'm going to just basically, yeah, let me just ask them how many yep. people they want to set up in their platform and let me just start showing. Yeah. Um, and then the surface level, not digging deep enough. That's, that's yeah. something I'm excited to dig into you with. Uh, cause there's definitely an art to 
know, the Sandler pain funnel, especially where it's like how to do that in a way where the person feels like they want to comply and, and are actually engaged in the conversation versus just like, dude, why are oh, you yeah. asking me? So That's a common thing I see, you know? Yeah. Um, I see that. Let's talk about I the prep that components. Often. It's, uh, it, it feels like an interrogation instead of a conversation. Yeah, so when we talk about vision matching, we'll get to that, but, uh, that's another common thing I see. So prep, what are your guidelines and approach around? I know that I have a call yeah. coming up. What happens next between that time and the call? That's yeah. Good, that okay, cool. Let's talk about discovery prep. So um, I don't have huge amounts of mind blowing knowledge on this. Like there is uh there are, there's so many resources out there for how to prep for calls, but this is just one thing that I want to make sure I, I get across today is, you know, I see two things. I see reps either way over prepping. They, they spend hours prepping and they essentially become like a librarian, right? Or on the flip side, they don't spend nearly enough time prepping and they come across like, they're kind of like a cowboy shooting from the hip. Right. And when it comes to discovery prep, you want to be more like a sniper, right? You want to really target your prep to as much as you need to effectively run that call and nothing more. And I think depending on the solution you sell, the person you're talking to, you know, how complex it is, is going to vary. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the concept of three by three research. Have you, have you heard that three by three prep, three by three call research? Have you heard that term? I'm sure you have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Three minutes. Now three I'll be honest, three minutes activity. would never work for me. I feel like three minutes is like, it goes by in a blink. So, um, I don't know that three minutes is appropriate, but I like that concept of defining, yeah. like, you know, when you think about how three by three works, you know, there's a list of like, these are all the things you're going to scan in three minutes. Take, make a list that's tailored to what you offer and make sure that you go through that for every single call. It shouldn't take you hours. It also should, shouldn't take you just a couple minutes. Maybe it's 10 minutes or 20 or 30. But um, I think the key is like finding the right balance because you don't want to, again, you don't want to become a librarian. You don't need to know every single thing about this person's business and history, but you need to know enough to be able to run an effective discovery call and, 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 and ask actually appropriate questions. So if you were advising one of your clients, what's the 80-20 rule here in terms of like, what are the yeah. kind of core things that in almost every case we're going to want to know yeah. coming I've into the I've got something call? super basic, which again, I feel like a lot of people miss the basics. So I um, want to go back to this, but uh, make sure you pronounce the person's name and company, like make sure you get the name and company right. Um, I actually sat on a sales call recently where um, they got my company yeah. name wrong and mixed me up with some other prospect and uh it didn't matter how good the solution was. I mean, granted the rest of the call sucks. So I probably wouldn't have bought anyway, but that is like, that's going to set you off from a bad place from the start. And I know it's simple, but it, it happens more often than you would think where we mix company names up, we get the person's name right or wrong, or maybe, um, maybe they have a more complicated name that isn't obvious how to pronounce it. And we fail to actually take the time to ask, how do you pronounce your name? I want to make sure I'm referring to you correctly. Um, and so I think that's important. Um, and then, you know, I see a lot of reps getting on calls where um, they've Googled the company, they've looked at the website, maybe they've Googled the contact, but they haven't actually looked at the prospect's LinkedIn profile, which again is like no brainer. Where are they based? Where have they worked? Are they new in the role? Have they been in the role for 10 years? Have they moved up very quickly? Um, do you have anything in common? Um, so I think those are 
the two things I, I see that I just wish I didn't see is like simple things like get the name and company right, make sure you're pronouncing it right, ask for clarification if you don't know, um, and then make sure you're looking up the person you're talking to and getting an understanding of how long they've been in the role. Um, I think there are other things that are important depending on the solution that you sell. Like I have a client that sells an influencer marketing software. Well, you're probably going to want to see what that company has been doing for influencer marketing to be able to craft some intelligent uh, questions versus, you know, a client that sells an HR solution. You're probably going to want to look at that company's job openings and, you know, hiring growth on LinkedIn and that type of stuff. And so, you know, there's general stuff that you're going to want to make sure you do every time. And then there's going to be tailored stuff that you're going to identify is important for you based on what you sell in the industry that you're in. Yeah. The, what are you looking for when you look at someone's past work experience in terms of the number of years they might be enrolled, like promotion path? What is that information going to help you? Good question. Help I you feel with? like the biggest thing um, that I, I just like to look for first and foremost is if someone is new in their role. If someone is new in their role, they likely haven't proven themselves at their current company yet. And so... <sighs> Are they going to have the power and the authority to actually push a solution through? Are we going to need to involve other people? Like what's on the line? What's at stake for them? Um, I think that's something I always look for. It's also really nice when someone's fairly new in a role to congratulate them um, on their new role and be aware of that. Hey, you're in a new role. Must be super exciting. How is it in? Um, you know, making sure that you're, you're picking up on that. Um, I also like to see um, when someone has moved up through a company, multiple different levels, that's an indicator to me that they likely yeah. have some authority and some credibility there. Like they've, they've been recognized and been promoted. And so, um, you know, that's just good Intel to have. Um, and then I just like to see where people have worked in the past. Sometimes there's commonalities. Sometimes we have mutual connections. Sometimes, um, you know, it's a place that I used to work or a friend used to work, or it's based in a city I used to live in. And so I just, I just like to look at where people have been and what they've done and, and, you know, just check that off the box to make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, I know what I'm talking about when I speak to them. Yeah. It's funny because with executives too, it's, you know, if you got like a VP of something in their first, yeah. you know, three to six months, yeah. yeah, they definitely have something to prove, you know, and they probably uh -huh. have very clear objectives and there's probably things that they were yeah. brought there to, yeah. to fix, you know? Um, you mentioned another thing I don't want to gloss over and it was essentially how they get the job done right now. So if you sell something like influencer software or another, one of my clients sells a like a customer, like a digital experience type of solution where, you know, it's built for call centers to essentially figure out why do people call into the contact center to talk to customer support and not self-serve through the website or through instant message? Like, what does that change? And it's like, you can go on the website and experience right. what that's like. I think it's a little tougher for us because we have to right. interact with a salesperson, yeah. which might not be a bad idea. Uh, if it's if it's something that we could do, but just experiencing their whatever it is that you help with, experiencing that and looking at how they get the job done. I mean, that's I feel like with discovery, the goal in that first call is to get to the real yeah. stuff as quickly as possible. And doing great research just yeah. helps you get oh, to yeah. real stuff so that you're not burning 10, 15 minutes trying to get to the yeah. point in a 30 Before, minute call. Uh, you know? I see a lot of people spending time just uh, tell me about your role. Where do you live? What, you know, it's like, <laughs> let, let's actually get to the meat. If we, if we know that we can go in showing that we've done our research and we know who the person is, which allows us to go deeper in our discovery yep. and therefore get more fuel for the deal. Yeah. 
I think another thing I'm curious your thoughts on this is as a sales rep, you really like the status I feel like between you and the prospect, oftentimes we set ourselves up in a sales conversation to be of lower status where the prospect knows that we want their business and they have options and they essentially have all the power because they control the purse strings. And one of the things I don't think that gets talked about a lot is like how to set yourself up to be the expert. Like how do you demonstrate expertise? And and one of those ways that you can really simply do that is just being really educated and informed when yeah. you come into that first call to where the prospect is trusting that, hey, Janelle has mm-hmm. seen my situation before. Like this is someone I feel right. comfortable guiding me in this decision. And if I was to give you a really specific example <laughs> the people, when we implemented HubSpot for our business, the, the person that I hired their agency to help us implement it, like I should not have it's hired funny, I've person. had a similar experience with, you know? with HubSpot and agencies. There you were want certain to find, things that, it's, it's a really important partner oh God, to have for your business. I, a lot of my clients struggle with that because they don't have the internal in-house expertise to implement HubSpot and build pipelines and build automations. And so, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Be, be careful who you hire there. Yeah, I just wasn't thinking about what's the impact this is going to have. You know, it seems kind of obvious now looking back at it. It's like this is the software that we were using to run our business. The people that you have helping you implement that, knowing that they have done this yep. for people like me and people more successful than me, it's there's there's a trust there that when they recommend something, like one of her recommendations was to gate all of our content <laughs> and charge $10 a month for it. I'm like, that just is a really oh, stupid that's hilarious. Idea. As soon as she shared that, it's oh, like a month in, yeah. I was like, oh God, I, I hired know. the wrong person to do this, you know? So I think there's something really big to setting yourself up as the yes. expert in your company, as the experts to really be able to advise the client. What are your what are your thoughts on that? And how do you think about that through discovery and sort of this? Yeah, you reminded me because there's no amount of like, you know, couple minutes prep before a call that's like going to just make you magically an industry expert. You first want to make sure that you know your industry. Um, I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day with great advice. There's so much great advice out there, but like find out where the people in your industry are spending their time. What groups are they in? What conferences are they attending? What podcasts they listen to and get your hands on that material and see what the industry is yeah. talking about, right? That's going to make you come across as a, a, a much more trusted advisor and expert. Um, but you said something that I just wanted to go back to that, that, that even playing field, this comes up in my coaching a lot. And I have another tactic, not, not necessarily tied to prep, just another tactic to like, even, cause you're right. Like a prospect and a sales rep coming together as a sales rep, we think we're inferior, right? But ultimately this is two people coming together to see if it's worth our time to spend more time together. Right. So like, yes, this person's taking the 30 minutes out of their day to have this call with you, but you're also taking 30 minutes out of your day to have the call with them and try to help them. And if your solution helps them, awesome. And if it doesn't, you're going to let them know. And so like, we want to make sure we're coming in at an even playing field and small tactical things that I see that shoot that in the foot are, Oh, Jason, thank you so much for setting aside the time to get on this call. Like, thank you so much for giving me the time. It puts us below. We're like, oh, we're so grateful that you just gave us a couple minutes of your time. So super simple tactic is to flip that. Hey, Jason, I'm really glad we were able to find the time to connect today. I know we're both really busy, but it sounds like you're, you're dealing with some, some really interesting problems that I think we might be able to solve for. So I'm just, I'm glad we could find the time to have the conversation, right? Instead of thank you so much, 
now we're on an even playing field. I'm glad we both were able to find the time to connect. Yeah. I love it. There's a little just flips like that where you know, like another little thing is <laughs> like when it ruptures a calendar link and there's like literally like 30 <laughs> hours of white space on that person's calendar. It just there's like little things like that you got to be thinking about that even if your calendar is not totally booked, like block off some time so it doesn't look like you're just I know so desperate, you know, for a prospect's time. Um so let's talk about the discovery conversation. So this middle part, this vision, yeah. uh, vision matching, excuse me, you want to explain what that concept is and give us kind of a breakdown of how we should think about structuring that first yeah. conversation. Okay, so let's talk about vision matching. So vision matching is essentially the antidote, in my opinion, to a discovery call fearing, feeling like an interrogation. And so I know, you know, I've, I've heard the term vision matching thrown around in different ways and some people think about it differently. Um, I think, you know, originally how I was taught was do all of your discovery, ask all of your questions, and then summarize that in a really nice bow with how you're going to help them. And that's your vision match. You're taking the pain point and you're presenting how you're going to solve it. I found that in practice, that doesn't work super well. One, after a 20 minutes of discovery, it is really hard to summarize high level and, and have this beautiful delivered you know, vision match statement. Um, but it, it can make your call feel like an interrogation. And so I like weaving vision matching in throughout my discovery. And so I won't ask one or two, more than one or two questions without coming in with some sort of statement of value to keep them engaged. So, um, Jason, why'd you take the call today? You know, oh, I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. problem. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I just talked to another customer last week and they were dealing with the same problem and like, here's what happened with them and, and how we were able to solve it. Like, tell me more about how long this has been going on. Oh man. Like, yeah, that that's tough. Like, well, you know, our time to, from sign to result is, is about three months. And so we would definitely be able to cut that down for you. You know, so you're essentially, as you're doing discovery and uncovering things, you're dropping these nuggets of value. And it's kind of hard to do generally because it's very specific, but like, if we could talk about a specific solution, I could probably give a better example. Like, um, like we can go back to this influencer marketing software, you know, um, why'd you take the call today? Uh, it's really annoying finding influencers for my business. I know that's actually the common problem we solve for. No one wants to talk to influencers. And, you know, this solution is going to really get that off your plate. Like, how long has this been a problem? What else have you tried? Oh, yeah. You know, I talked to someone who tried that. And, like, here's what they found after they worked with us. So, like, it's dropping those little nuggets and keeping that person hooked and interested and essentially earning you the right to ask the next question, which I think is a big thing in discovery that we sometimes forget is that, like, we have to earn the right to ask questions. And so if you try to set your call up with like, I'm going to ask all these questions and then I'm going to tell you, tell them how I can help. Like you might not get their guard down as low as you would have been if you vision matched throughout your discovery. So that's the concept of vision matching. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's kind of, you know, you hear the uh -huh. tennis match analogy a lot, right? And a lot of the discovery is I hit the, hit the ball over to your side of the court and it just uh -huh. stays there uh -huh. for 20 minutes. Right. And as a prospect, I, you know, I being sold to, I get kind of impatient with like, I just want to figure out, is this thing going to do what I think it can do to solve right. this problem that I think that I have, or are you going to tell me something else that I, that I may or may not know? And essentially what you're doing, the statement of value, I mean, you're weaving in customer stories, which I think also has an element mm -hmm. of social proof that really helps where there's this constant reinforcement of Janelle has seen this problem before. 
Uh, she's worked with people like me. She's yep. familiar with this. There's this trust that's built up. And um, I, I forget this data. It's a little over 50%, according to Gartner, of buyers experience buyer's regret mm. after purchasing software. I don't know. Like when I read that stat, I don't know about you. I kind of shit my pants. I was like, <laughs> over half of the time when B2B software is purchased, they regret the purchase. Yeah. They would not have done that again. So buyers are in this mode too, where there's so yeah. much information online about their experience and they've probably bought something similar to yours before to where oh, they yeah. kind of bring that baggage yeah. into the conversation too, where they're just inherently more skeptical of buying stuff because, hey, in the last decade, half of the time when we buy stuff, it doesn't actually produce the ROI that the rep said that yeah. it was supposed I know, to I think produce. We get so this right. reducing skepticism. And I think we get scared of that. We're like, oh no, they dealt with a competitor. They're going to be really tough. Um, you know, it uh, it actually is really valuable information. Um, when you talk about these value statements and, and showing what you know and being an expert, like it's really interesting when you start to hear people talk about the companies they got burned from and you ask more, well, what happened? And, and ideally your solution, you know, that that's not going to happen, yep. but you then take that and you carry that into future conversations. Like, Oh man, I'm really sorry to hear you're having that, that, that you have that challenge with this platform. You know, I actually talked to four customers last month and they all dealt with the same thing. And like, here's how we were able to solve that for them. So like no pressure at all here, but like, I'm really confident that that is not going to happen here. And, and this is why um, I think sometimes we kind of, we start to get scared. We're like, Oh no, <laughs> they're skeptical. They're not going to buy, but it's a great discovery opportunity. Tell me about your experience. Why was it so bad? What was the promise that wasn't delivered? Really understanding that I think can help you combat that skepticism and also give you the yeah. insight to then use that in future calls without, of course, bashing anyone. It's always a delicate dance, right? Because we never want to bash competitors. You know, competitors are, it's a good thing yeah. when there's other people in your space, right? It means that the space is, is worthy of investment and attention and solutions, but, um, you know, it's a delicate balance. No, absolutely. So what do you recommend the first five or 10 minutes of the discovery conversation? How do you recommend uh, a rep starts? How should the call start? What are some, yes. some key okay. things that you should um, be I know, again, this is, a, is silly to kind of think back. It's very elementary level, but like take a couple minutes to build some rapport. I see a lot of calls where we jump right in and I get we want to get to the point. You could always say like, I know we want to get to the point as quickly as possible, but you know, I noticed you're, you're based in Lake Tahoe. I saw you guys were getting a ton of snow today. Like, you know, like you want to have some sort of couple minutes of showing that you're a human. That's going to be different for every rep and every seller. Like, how do you show that you're a human? I know um, I had a lot of my reps at, at LinkedIn uh, when they would, would, when they would get on calls and they'd go to share their screen, they would very strategically have the backdrop of their laptop be you know, them and their baby, them and their puppy, their family, or like something that was a conversation starter. So when they went to share the screen, they're like, oh, yeah. oh yeah, that's just my husband. You know, that's just my daughter. She just turned one, right? So it like, that was their way of trying to humanize the conversation. And so I think that's, yeah. first things first, humanize the conversation. It takes a couple minutes, yeah. but it's, it's important to get someone's guard down. If you try to just jump into it, they might not want to want to give you the, the time of day to, to, to engage in your discovery. The second thing is upfront social contract. Um, I see this skipped a lot. Um, I know people refer to it as different things, but upfront social contract is essentially an agenda plus a buy-in. So like, and I think it's really important for discovery, especially if you don't plan to share pricing on discovery. I know I'm a fan of not sharing pricing on discovery, but there are instances where you want to share a range or you might need to share something to try and disqualify someone. So 
I think upfront social contract is important, especially if you're not going to share price on that call, even if you are like, this is what we're going to cover today. Like, I'm going to ask you some questions about your, your business and what you're dealing with. And then I want to tell you, like, if I think we can help, I'm going to tell you how. And then at the end, we'll decide if it makes sense to talk next steps. And one of those next steps will be reviewing pricing. But first today, this is just about making sure we're on the same page and that it's going to be worth investing our time in. Um, and so I see either, um, you know, sometimes we just give an agenda and we don't get buy-in or sometimes we skip it all together, but it's really important to make sure that like, if you're, if you, you know what you're going to cover on the call, share that with that person and then make sure that they agree to that and buy in right that way at the end of the call, they're like, well, this is crazy. Tell me the price. Well, like I mentioned at the beginning, like this is really just to see if we're the right fit. Now I'm going to take this information. I'm going to pull together a proposal and I'm really excited to, to, to demo and, and show you the pricing on our next call. Um, but that upfront social contract I think is, is key. Do you, do you use the term upfront social contract or agenda? Or have you heard that term before? I've heard upfront contracts. Sandler calls it, yes. I call it an alignment it's statement. It's all kind of the same thing. Um, this is so important though, because it's like, uh, Clary's got, I forget, Sidekick, I think it's called now. It used to be called Wingman, but their conversational intelligence tool. Dude, I want to say if I remember the stat correctly, it was something like over half yes. of reps don't set an agenda at the beginning of a sales call. And it's like blown away by that. And so it's not just discovery. It's every you know, so single just call. Basic... It's, you know, maybe it's your sixth or seventh call with them. Hey, every so call. I know we've, you know, already covered X, Y, and Z. <laughs> the goal of the call today is to uncover the concerns that your team had and to go through each one and decide next steps. Like there needs to be an upfront social contract at the beginning of every single customer interaction. Like make sure you are on the same page for your call yeah. on what you're going to be covered and what the, what's going to be covered and what the desired outcome is. It's just yeah. good business acumen. Like think about internally, right. any executive that is running a meeting right. always sets an agenda at the beginning of the meeting. So people know what I to know. do. It's just, it's just good business acumen. Um, how do you then kind of segue into... Because where oftentimes reps will run into challenges here is like figuring out, like finding something to latch yeah. onto and talk about that's related yes. to what your solution can help with. Where sometimes it'll go in this direction of if we're doing the influencer marketing route, it'll be like, um, yeah, so we're looking for a tool to help us manage our influencers. And it goes like this really just the conversation stays very features and functions type of thing. And it never really gets to anything strategic around what the business is trying to accomplish or anything like that. And, and reps oftentimes will get lost, you know, right there, or just have trouble where the prospect will just shoot the shit about yeah. something for 20 minutes. Oh, that's yeah. kind of unrelated yep. to what they can help them with, you know? So how does that, how do you, how do you recommend best segueing to like get to the really meat of the yeah. conversation? Okay. So here's my tips. This comes up in my, my coaching a lot. There are three discovery questions that you should be asking on every call. In fact, you should be on every discovery call. You should, you should be starting your discovery calls with these questions because essentially it gives you the lay of the land to know where to dig deeper. And so the first one, super obvious, why'd you take the call today? Why are we on the phone? And so there's different ways to ask that. I typically like to tee it up. Like, um, listen, Jason, like I know we're, I know we're both super busy. You've got a lot on your plate as, you know, X, Y, and Z title and, you know, based on what, what they do, um, you know, what, um, what prompted you to take the 30 minutes out of your day to, to book this call? Because I want to tailor it to you. And the more I know about why you booked the call, the better I can do that. And so, you know, that's my softer way of saying it, but you can ask it in different ways, but ultimately first things first, why are we on this call? Um, I know that sometimes if it's an inbound lead or maybe it's come through an SDR, 
you may have some of that context. And so you can then tailor the question like, you know, Hey, I saw you wanted to have this call with me because you're looking for a new influencer marketing software. Like tell me about what you were hoping to get out of the call today. Why are we here? What are you, what are you hoping I can help you with? So I think that's the first thing is like understanding what someone's motivation is. Um, it's also a really key question because to your point, someone may rattle off for 20 minutes about things that are completely not relevant to what you offer. Like you want to make sure that they're there for the right reason. And if you guys are in a line that you catch that early in the call and you either get aligned or you're able to say, I totally hear you. Like we have some free resources or I saw X, Y, and Z online that I can send you a link. I saw an article about this recently, but like, that's not what we do. And so like, I wish you all the best and you're able to part ways. Um, yeah, that's my first favorite question. Okay, let's go to the uh, other two. The other so two? next one, what is your role as it pertains to X problem? And this is really key because I want to know, titles aren't always telling. Someone could be a director and could be doing the, the, the work versus someone could have a, you know, a, a different title and actually be like overseeing a team. You don't really know. You want to know who you're talking to. And so I want to know, are you the ultimate decision maker on this? Like, do you own this problem or did your boss forward the, the email and ask you to just join the call? So you're here by obligation to your boss. Um, essentially, are you the one that's in the day to day experiencing this problem or are you overseeing the team that's experiencing the problem? Or are you three levels removed from the problem and you heard it in a team meeting and, and because your team's so busy, you just wanted to start taking calls. Like I want to know, what your role is as it pertains to this problem. Because again, that's part of that groundwork of helping me understand what kind of questions I'm going to ask and, and what direction I want to go with my discovery. Love it. Yeah. I, I love the yeah. piece about not assuming mm -hmm. their role either, because especially at larger enterprises, okay, VP of sales, there's going to be multiple VPs of sales and yep. there's going to be projects. Like there might be a project within the company to figure out outbound or to increase, you know, penetration right. into named accounts. Someone yes. owns that project and is in charge of that, you know, OKR. So understanding how their role pertains to that, great question. Ooh, and then okay. what's, the, so what's the third? This one, again, obvious, but skipped. I feel like a lot of reps I see and, and work with and coach, you know, they're trying to come up with these brilliant, super detailed discovery questions. And those certainly have a time and place. And we forget to just literally ask directly what is your biggest problem when it comes to X? If it's a hiring solution, like what, what is your biggest problem when it comes yeah. to hiring? If it's time to hire and your solution solves for time to hire, then like, boom, you're in the right place. Right. Um, I learn a lot by asking this question because I feel like, I feel like when I first started learning discovery and, and, and hearing reps, you know, play around with discovery, it was like, kind of like we're beating around the bush, like trying to get to this problem. And it's like, it was like a light bulb moment for me. I'm like, let's just ask what is the biggest problem you're facing when it comes to this. And like, this is key to have that lay of the land and that groundwork to know where to dig deeper. Cause like if your solution doesn't play to that biggest problem, like again, you need to get alignment or it may be a sign that this call isn't going to be worth your time and you have to politely part ways. And so why'd you take the call? What is your role as it pertains to X problem? And, um, uh, what was my third one? Uh, what is your biggest problem when it comes to this? Like, what is the biggest struggle when it comes to that problem yep. or achieving that outcome? Like what, what's the thing that, that that's bothering you the most that you think is the, the biggest problem? 
So once we've gotten the conversation started here, how do we know how do we know when we've done enough discovery, at least for this call? Like, what are the things that we're trying to walk away from that conversation with and ultimately segue into? Yeah. Well, if I identify, you know, once we identify that someone is that they have the problems that I solve for, I'm going to spend the rest of the call trying to get really detailed information about those problems so that I can set myself up for my demo. And so like, I think demos are really impactful Mm -hmm. when you can pull quotes and utilize things like you told me statements like Jason, you told me on the last call that like, you would love to never speak to another influencer again. And that's what this software is going to do for you. It's going to allow you to scale your brand, right? Like whatever it is. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So you want to be able to essentially have enough to where you could customize the demo and show how a specific part of your software is going to solve. And I feel like it is easy. Like discovery can. Cool. So why did they take the call? Like, Discovery could be never ending. And I sometimes see reps that are, they're running 40 minute or 60 minute discovery calls. Like yeah. know that you can always keep asking more, right? But the key is to balance, like get the lay of the land and get as deep as you can within the time period that you have. Ideally it's, it's probably 20 to 30 minutes to give yourself enough to set you up for success and try to avoid going down roads and paths that aren't actually relevant to what you solve, because that comes up a lot. I hear people having conversations about things. It's like, well, this isn't, actually what we're going to be able to solve for. So like it's useful insight, but I don't need to know everything about it. And so I think it's, again, that, that balance of like how I feel like you can continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So just be mindful of how, you know, what, what, what are the, what are the basics that you need to actually be able to position your solution effectively and get them excited about what you offer. Gotcha. Let's talk a follow-up and then we'll probably have to bounce here with time. Um, so the last couple of minutes, how do you think about the securing yes. next steps part of the conversation? And then what does the follow-up look like after yes. that between? Okay. The, so I've got, uh, I've, I've got a tip here. So I think, um, what, so I use the term BANT and I know people use this in sales a lot, BANT, right? Budget authority needs timeline. Ideally by the end of the discovery call, like you, you figured out who you're talking to, you know what the needs are. So my tip when I'm, when I'm coaching is as I usually bring up the T like timeline, like why are, uh, what, what should the next step be? And so, and when should it be? So I, what I see a lot is, um, sales reps will say something like, uh, all right, Jason, we'll like, glad it looks good. I'll send you everything and, and I'll follow up with you next week. Maybe they're talking to their boss tomorrow. Like, or maybe this is something that's for six months down the road. Yeah. So like, figure out what's going to happen next on their end and tailor your follow-up and your next steps accordingly. And so my favorite way to tee this up is like, okay, Jason. So like, you know, glad we got the chance to speak. I'll go ahead and send everything over to you. What happens next on your end? Oh, I'm going to meet with my boss. Oh, cool. When are you guys meeting? Oh, we're meeting on Tuesday. Okay, cool. What does your boss tend to, what do they care about? What are they going to want to see? Well, you know, they really care about numbers and data. Okay, cool. Like, are you going to forward them an email? Are you going to present a slide deck or are you going to, do they want a one page or executive summary? Like in what way are you going to present the information? Like once you know all of that, your follow-up becomes a lot easier, right? Because if they say, you know, let's say you say, all right, you know, I'm going to meet with my boss tomorrow and I'm going to pull together. um, I'm going to take these slides today and present them in our, in our one-on-one. Then you can follow up the next day and say, how did the meeting go with Jim? 
any feedback on the slides we pulled together, what were his thoughts? Um, yeah. Or, you know, let's say someone needs six months, like your follow-up is going to be very different depending on someone's timeline um, and what you learn from that. And so I think this is just like the message I want to drive home is like, make sure that you're, you're hitting the T in terms of timeline of what is going to happen next on their end and make sure that you're tailoring your follow-up accordingly and not just doing a blanket, you know, I bump everyone in my pipeline once a week or the, the standard, you know, I'll follow up next week. <laughs> like set a, set a date and a time for that next step too. You want to figure out what's happening yeah. and then decide together what that next step should be. And like, yes, ideally the next step is a call, but there are certain instances where the next step may not be a call. Like maybe you've already had two calls and the next step is like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to present this to Jim. You know, Jim's going to have some concerns. And so why don't we connect and you can share what his concerns are and we can go from there. Like it's going to depend. And so I think the key is like, figure out what's going to happen next tailor your follow-up accordingly. And ideally you firm this up before the call ends, right? Because once that call ends, like the person's gone. And so make sure that you essentially, I, I know there's different terms for this. It's essentially like building a mutual, yep. mutually agreeing to a follow-up plan of what's going to happen next and when, like what are the next steps to progress this forward? Yep. Love it. And with that, we're out of time. And I want to highlight this because I sometimes forget to do this where the, you know, you, you did like a really good call and talked about a lot of stuff and you forget to ask like, Hey, I get that we're going to be talking next week at X day and time, but yep. like, what are you yep. going to be doing in the meantime? Knowing Just and then knowing being able to support, you know, it's, it's knowing um, and supporting, you know, great if, to know. So if, we talk they, if their boss is going to have X, yep. Y, and Z concerns, you probably have materials that you can send to that person to help them with that conversation. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good one to talk about. Exactly. There we go. So there's prep, how to do the vision matching piece, the follow-up questions that you can ask. And uh, before you bounce, you know, where can people go to connect with you? And yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, committed 2024. I'm following in your, your footsteps, Jason. I'm going to, I'm going to try to post every day this year. We're going to see, we're going to see what comes of it. That's right. Cool. So go connect with you on LinkedIn. Thanks for having, yeah. thanks for coming on the show and sharing, uh, sharing everything on discovery and, uh, make sure if you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts, leave us a, a review. We'd really appreciate it. And that's all we got for you today. 